Hey, I'm Lynn Rogala. And I'm Ali Diliberto, and we are coming to you from the ladies' room. So we can talk about removing stupid, frustrating, and toxic shit from the world in a way that's not prim enough for the dinner table. Welcome back to the ladies' room. I wish I knew how to do some kind of little rap because that's kind of what I'm in the mood for. You know, it's so funny. I was just about to say, maybe I should start singing these. <laughs> well, I, I meant like, you know, like a rap, like I, I can't no, but, even do it. No, the point being that we both at the same time were thinking, you know, what would bring more excitement to this musicality, musicality and dancing and dancing. I posted on, on Facebook the other day that if you peek through my kitchen window, you're very likely to see me doing the cha-cha to We Don't Talk About Bruno. <laughs> All right. Well, you sing that because I don't know what that song is. See, you're insane. Like You guys still have not watched Encanto, Encanto and I can't believe it. It's even free on Disney+. Plus. I don't know if you noticed, but I've been kind of busy lately. That's fair. That's fair. But all the time you're watching hockey, which is dumb. You could be watching Encanto, which is awesome. Except hockey makes my husband happy and also cartoons do. So yeah, Encanto would make him happy too. So we don't talk about Bruno is kind of like the let it go of 2022. Okay. Everybody's singing it, talking about it. Lots of jokes about it. It's, it's also an awesome song. It slaps. It's a cha-cha. All right. Well, I mean, I'm enrolled, but I still don't know the song. Maybe right. I would know if I heard it. No, you. if you hadn't seen the movie, you probably haven't heard it. All right, well. It's not like it's on the radio. I mean, I don't know if I would hear it there either, but I'm open. Probably. Right, go, ahead and you, go ahead and do your Disney rant. No, I'm not going to do my Disney rant. Oh my gosh, you just said maybe I'll do my Disney rant before I, we got on. We were talking about multiple topics for the, pet, the podcast. I wasn't saying I was going to do it on this one. I can on this one, but it has zero to do with what we're talking about with women entrepreneurs. And I we know trust how that, that you can tie that shit in later. No, nope, you know how that, actually, it kind of is female empowerment. <laughs> you know how this went last week. Okay. So this is a little rant I posted on Facebook. I promise I won't say anything about gross. No, don't, don't get me going. Um, <laughs> So, all right, I'm going to try to keep this short and we'll tie it into the woman thing because part of the rant is about Disney, just like whatever. So there's a new live action Snow White coming out and Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And there's all this controversy about it. Number one controversy is Peter Dinklage, who is, um, he is, uh, what's his name in Game of Thrones? Did you guys watch Game of Thrones? You know, that didn't happen. Yeah, Tyrion, I didn't. Tyrion Lannister. Yeah, Tyrion Lannister. So he's been complaining about the dwarf thing, right? He's, he has dwarfism and he's been complaining about casting dwarfs, whatever. And then there's also, they cast a Latina woman as the Snow White. And everyone's like, oh, how bold, how daring. But honestly, I think it's kind of bullshit. And here's why. <laughs> <laughs> here's why. I don't know. I'm thinking like, you know, pink lips, black hair. That works for me. No, hang on. Okay, here's why I think it's kind of bullshit. First of all, anybody complaining about it, for the most part, is being racist. Like, there's plenty of racist people like, oh, we can't have Snow White, whatever. But I think it's just dumb because people are saying, oh, it's so bold and it's so daring. But I think it's just dumb because Snow White, the story, is still a Western European culture, you know, European-centric, European culture. And so just putting a Latina actress in the middle of this, like, totally white story isn't is really not that great like maybe 20 years ago when we weren't doing anything that it was kind of better than nothing but it's not much better than nothing like why can't we have a fairy tale with the cultural context of the person the person who's cast um like Encanto which you haven't seen but Coco which I assume you've seen with the um Diaz de la Marzas, the Mexican Day of the Dead you know where it's all like Mexican culture and then also Moana which is all Polynesian culture. Like we can do so much better. And so it just feels like Disney kind of trying to get credit for something that they're not really doing. Um, I was also ranting about like, I've already heard this story. So if you really want to cast a Latina princess, tell me a story from South America. Or if you want to cast an African or a black woman, tell me a folktale from Africa. Like there's gotta be a million 
Um, and one of our greatest fans was reading my Facebook post and she laughed because I said, give me these stories and I will gorge myself on them like the greedy story pig that I am. Like, I just want some new stories. So that's rant number one. Um, I have I feel to like- say, this is not what I was expecting. I know. Well, you told me to rant it and I told you it wasn't related, but you know, I mean, I just wasn't expecting this particular rant from you and I'm disinterested, not on your rant because I'm interested in all your rantings, but I'm disinterested in this because there's pretty much a 0% chance of me watching a live action, um, uh, snow white. Although I do want to know if the dwarves are whatever you call miniature people, because that, that could be, there's people, they are people with dwarfism, which is why Peter Dinklage is all upset, but okay. So now, all right. And also anybody named Dinklage, it's not probably not going to be good. What, what are you talking about? I'm just saying anybody with a lot named Dinklage is probably not, it's not going to be good. I don't even know know who that is. I just told you who it was. I didn't remember. I discarded it. I got stuck on the name. You you can't. I told you like at the beginning of the podcast, this is a garbage podcast again already. Um, (laughs) It's not. I have something really good to talk about. Peter Dinklage. I said he is Tyrion Lannister on Game of Thrones. That's where you most likely know him from. Oh, yeah. Since I've never seen that, I just discarded all of it. See, there's a reason I didn't remember. Well, he's super famous, even though you don't know who he is, but I don't even want to talk about his rant. Anyway, so coming to my second point, which might marginally tie into this thing about women entrepreneurs is as a heroine, Snow White is garbage. She's completely garbage as a heroine. She doesn't move any of the action forward. And so see, I'm sounding more ranty and angry on my Facebook post. I was cute and quirky, but anyway. (laughs) <laughs> but it's later in the day and now right. I'm ranty and angry and I'm cranky because I explained to you who Peter Dinklage was and you're like I don't know who he is he has a dumb name um okay so go on a thought experiment with me so pr- let's pretend that there's a magical flower or a magical set of earrings or an enchanted sack of beans right a sack of enchanted beans and this <laughs> <laughs> Which one I don't do you know want? why that all sounded dirty to me. I, I, something's going on. Continue. <laughs> Which one do you want? You want the magic flower, the magic jewelry, or the enchanted sack of beans? I kind of like the sack of beans. All right. So once upon a time, there was an enchanted sack of beans. And this sack of beans brings blessings and abundance to anyone who's pure of heart and brings cursings and obstacles to anyone with an evil heart. And this sack of beans was locked up in a chest to keep it from affecting anyone. And then somebody accidentally broke open the chest. All right, that's the beginning of my story. Okay. Now take the sack of magic beans and cast it as Snow White in the movie and then tell the rest of the whole story and tell me what really needs to change. Snow White is not I am not smart enough to follow that at all. (laughs) What the hell just happened with Snow White? So think about the story of Snow White. No, no. That's like the only, that's the, actually the only action she performs in the whole movie. She doesn't, she doesn't source any of the action. She like does, all of the, no, she doesn't. It all happens to her. She does lay there. Well, she doesn't, she sing to the dwarfs and clean their house. She does housework for them. I will grant you that she does housework for them, which is why the beans are enchanted. So like <laughs> you, you could tell the same story. Okay. So there's an evil queen and in the basement of her castle inside a magic cask is, is this sack of beans. And one of the one of the the uh, the castle servants accidentally breaks open the cask and releases the magic beans. She starts to feel yucky, and she realizes, oh, these magic beans, which can't be destroyed in my story, are making me feel yucky. They're opposing me and cursing them. So she gives them to this guy, and she's like, "Take these out in the woods." So he takes them out in the woods and like buries them in a hole. And then the, the dwarves find them and take them home. And then all of a sudden, all these good things start happening to the dwarves and they're all excited. And then the, the queen finds out that the beans weren't destroyed, like she asked. And she goes to the dwarf's cottage and she like throws some cursed water on the beans and they like get all soggy. And the dwarves are like, oh shit. And so they put them in this box, um, try to figure out how to dry them out. And then a prince comes who's pure of heart. And he's like, oh, these are the beans I've always looking for. And he figures out how to dry out the beans and he takes them and like becomes the prince of the world. That is the story of Snow White and Seven Dwarves. And Snow White was played by a sack of enchanted beans. (laughs) 
What, what about the kissing? And where are the dwarves? No, she doesn't do <laughs> anything in the movie. She's a sucky heroine because she doesn't cause any of the action. She doesn't cause yeah. any of the action. I right? I totally agree. Yeah. So I'm like, and, and it's totally Disney just doing a cash cow move because a cash cow industry is one that's dying, but has a lot of things that people will pay money for. So this is like the most lazy ass thing that they could possibly do that will make a ton of money because a whole bunch of people will go see live action Snow White and the movie is going to be boring as fuck because of all the reasons I just said. Like, oh, look, it's a Latina princess. How daring. Nothing else changed except that she's Latina. Great. And she still doesn't source any of the action. Wonderful. Like, what a boring movie. Tell me a more interesting story. That's There's my rant. Rant over. All right. Well, I can barely remember the whole story of Snow White, so. I just told it to you. I'm now going to permanently equate Snow White and the maggot, magic sack of beans. She is a magic sack of beans as far as the only princess more passive is Sleeping Beauty, who basically sleeps the whole movie. Doesn't Snow White pretty much sleep the whole movie? She sleeps for like half of it. She does housework for the other half. <laughs> this is the ideal woman. Let's right? Move right along. Right. <laughs> to women in business. Right. Yeah. Let's segue, shall we? But no, it's, it's actually important because I'm sorry, Disney, you don't get credit for diversity because this is just a white story and they put a brown person in it. That doesn't count. And you also don't get credit for like any of the empowered woman shit that you've been doing the last few years. Like most of the last few princesses have been pretty badass. Um, and it's just such a step backwards to be like, oh yeah, right, Snow White. She's so lame. I'm sorry. Maybe well, they'll you- make the story more interesting. It, it, she doesn't perform any of the action. It's not even about her. That's why she could just be, it could be like the pure hearted prince and the sack of magic beans, or it could be the dwarves and the magic beans. Like that's really what the story is. It's not about Snow White. I just want you to know I'm getting more enrolled in watching this live action movie. The more we talk about it. Why? It's going to be boring as fuck. I don't know. I could probably watch hockey and this at the same time. No, don't bother. Don't waste your life. <laughs> go watch. I cannot believe that you won't watch Encanto, but you, then you'll go watch the shitty movie that I've been dumping on for the last 20 minutes. I don't know, but your outrage just has me. Now I'm mildly curious about it. There's nothing to be curious about. I just told you she's a terrible heroine. She doesn't I'll do watch anything. Encanto soon. It's some kind of hockey break this week. Encanto's awesome. Right. And it's free on Disney Plus, so there's no excuse. There's no excuse for you not watch it. And all the music's by Lynn Manuel Miranda. And I know you're gonna say who's that, but just don't even bother. Okay, I won't. Okay. I'm very ranty. This is gonna be like a cranky podcast. So oh, let's just God. let's just get right into the patriarchy. In like, let's just get right into the patriarchy. Women in women entrepreneurship. So you've been working this last week and a half. You're partnering with a new place, right? That that a lot of what they do is help women entrepreneurs, kind of solopreneurs, move their businesses forward, right? Is that fair? Yes. Yeah. They're right now. They don't do any work with men, so it's entirely female focused. So right, and that was very intentional. Yes, and it's part of what drew me to partnering with them. So, um, in um anyway, in the in our training, they the um founder said that male owned i'm pretty sure that male i wrote this down during and my notes that male owned businesses make four times the amount of money as female owned businesses and that filled me with rage and then um i i actually couldn't prove that statistic i did a lot of googling around now she's from australia so who knows like maybe the statistics are slightly different in different economies i really don't know but for sure male owned businesses are more profitable. And that wasn't really like a shock to me, but it did have me go down the rabbit hole of why. So I've been, you know, dying, even though last week we talked about crows instead, I have been dying to talk about this topic because there's really so much to it. And just like anything complex, there's never one thing that points to all the problems, right? You can't just, you know, show up with a vagina or a penis and like have that be the determining factor like on day one but there's a lot that goes into all the things 
um, socially and economically and just, you know, all these things. And you and I have talked a lot about, um, essentially, I think, I don't, I'll put words in your mouth, but essentially your take has been, you know, for a, a long time, like, of course, like men are left around the world, you know, are like control or dominate or whatever, um, in the business world, because women are making their life run. Is that that's a, a big synopsis? part of this? Yeah, that's a big part of it. I mean, two, two books that I just finished, um, one of which I'm going to revisit because I feel like I need to read it. Sometimes I need to read something. Um, the Invisible Women, which we've talked about a little bit on this podcast, which is basically how the world is designed. So it's not just women making men's lives run. The world is designed to make their lives run a little easier. Um, like transportation and medicine and education and all of it is designed around even um, there's a big conversation right now that wasn't even in this, maybe a little bit in this book that um, ADHD is super undiagnosed in girls and women because it manifests differently between boys and girls and the classical symptoms that are described are how it looks in boys. So Hmm. girls, a girl with ADHD, this isn't necessarily a woman, but a girl with ADHD is um, she's not, she's not physically moving all around. Like when you think of a kid with ADHD, you think hyperactive, um, that's a whole boy, how it looks in a boy. And again, these are all generalities, but you know, clinically um, a girl will tend to be a chatterbox, right? She just chatters a million miles a minute. And so they go undiagnosed or um, the symptoms are labeled as personality traits. Oh, she's flighty. She's disorganized rather than she has ADHD. So all of those elements. And then a second book that I just finished called Patriarchy Stress Disorder is about all of the impacts of constantly being told that you're not as important, that you're less than, that, you know, sit down and shut up. And um, the epigenetic inheritance of not being safe to speak up and domestic violence and rape and all these other things that we kind of have like literally in our bodies all uh, conspire to keep us small because small is safe. I mean, that's, there's a lot more to patriarchy stress disorder than that, but that's the basic premise is like our nervous systems. So not only do we have to overcome a lot structurally um, in order to be successful in business or even in a job, but we have a lot to overcome inside our own selves, inside like our nervous systems, our safety, all those feelings like that, you know, if it's not safe, you don't do it. That's true of men too, but they just haven't been taught that, that succeeding is unsafe. Okay. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Yes. End of podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Except like, I think that I don't think so that, well, that particular like line of thought is also still very different from like what we were just talking about, like what I was just alluding to, like, so I was sort of pointing to like, women are so busy doing everything else. And then you brought up something completely different, which is not inside anything I read as far as documentation of, um, like research and things you can measure statistically for sure. Um, about why women and men are more successful. That's not true, but I mean, it's not in what you read, but both of those books that I just read, mentioned are loaded with those kind of statistics no but you can't really statistic like I guess you can go do you feel like it's safe to be seen or not I mean I guess that could be I mean you measure that in actions right I don't know that but then it becomes kind of anecdotal okay I think like I think there's a lot more just like direct paths to be taken on than that by itself, because I mean, I think, well, there's certainly more, I don't think, I guess I'll just say, I don't think the primary reason that women are so far not as successful in a lot of ways that men are in business or a lot of the numbers don't add up. There's like way more, um, things that are like really demonstrable, right? Structural. Yeah. That you can just like see like, okay, yes, this or that versus, you know, like, and it will be interesting to see because I think a lot of boys are learning the opposite when I look at like boys, my son's ages and a little bit younger, even like, I think 
you know, we're obviously seeing much more, many more women going to college and we're seeing some of those things get skewed. Um, the numbers that like we think about for ourselves, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, like kind of what the backlash of this, all that sort of stuff all is. Cause I think that, I think that's changing. I hope it's yeah, changing. Even the patriarchy, patriarchy stress disorder thing that I was just talking about is also part of the second wave because we didn't notice it when all the structural stuff was in place because the structural stuff was in place. And as we start to tear down the structural stuff, women are still struggling. And it's like, why are you still struggling? And so we look, oh, here's why like all this internalized stuff is also there, but it's all part of it, right? It's like, it's like a chicken and the egg because part of why women walk around thinking that they're secondary is because the whole world pretends that men are the default human and women are something weird. So okay, you internalize so that shit. I, man, why does this always have to be me? I hate the term, but like, I hate, I just hate the whole concept because I don't know that every woman walks around feeling like that. Well, it doesn't have to be every woman to walk, walk around feeling like that to be a problem. Okay. And how do you know if you need to get diagnosed with patriarchy stress disorder? <laughs> it's not something you diagnose. It's like kind of her cute, quirky name for a whole host of stuff. Okay. So hit me. I have to read the book again. All right. Well, you read it again. Cause right now I'm like, please, I hate that label. I don't like it, but. Um, okay. So for things that are more demonstrable and maybe everything is like just based on how everybody feels and like the perception of value and, and maybe it's more structural. I don't know. For sure. The the structural things are easier to take on and train and overcome. The issue is you have to take them on at the same time. Otherwise it doesn't do any good. Like, it's kind of like, um, uh, if you take a, um, an animal that's always lived in a cage and you take away the cage, they live like an animal that's always lived in a cage. So you have to take on both. So at the same time, because removing the structural stuff alone without creating like safety and reprogramming of the way we think about things isn't enough. Okay. But I think logistically, there's a lot like, I don't, I don't, um, like when I think about what women are taking on when they take on business, even like most of the women I know are not like shrinking back from any particular thing. But I think there's this huge delineating factor of how much women value and feel responsible for differently than than men. Like, I think that's like, before I started reading and thinking through all the things that I read, that was the thing that made really the most sense to me, because I can see that my, like my commitments to things are way more diversified than my male counterparts in business. What do you mean? Like commitments to your family, the unpaid care work thing? Yeah. Like the unpaid care work, like tending my parents, like, even though I'm the primary breadwinner in our family, like I still do John, no, it's not really fair because John does all the communicating. Like he talks to my parents more than I do probably and his parents, but like I do all the, you know, present shopping and sending out cards and like all that kind of stuff is all, and the care, like the actual, you know, caretaking, like most of that all still falls on me. And it's it's important to me. It's interesting to me because just a couple of months ago, you didn't believe me when I told you that women did most of the, or you didn't uh, either didn't believe or didn't understand what the invisible work of women is. No, I have bought, believed the invisible work of women forever. But no, you used to argue with me about it because some of your descriptions, I was like, I don't think those are the invisible work. I didn't agree with you that those are the invisible work of women things like the, because I don't, because I don't think that's invisible. Like, I think it's very visible work, like doing the caretaking and the nurturing and all that stuff. That was the argument. It's because you looked at all the visible stuff and said, Oh, people see that people see when I do the dishes and the invisible work of women is like all the logistical shit. I mean, it probably shows up slightly differently in every family and every arrangement. Of course, of course. Put so, on balance and it's not helping. 
What'd you say? I said, I put on balance and it's not helping. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Just put a little in your eye. It'll be fine. Yeah. Um, okay. So, but I think the whether like, let's leave invisible work of women off the table, the visible work, the visible things that women are committed to that I'm personally committed to. And that I know most of my female, like that I, that come up in conversations with other female entrepreneurs has them splitting the baby a lot of the time in a way I think that men are not as inclined to or don't have to or whatever the whatever the deal is. It's so interesting to me. I mean, I agree with you that in general, women are more committed to that stuff than men are, but it's so interesting to me, two things. Number one, you love to pull it back into like, well, women don't make as much because they choose to take time off with their families and stuff like that. And number two, what there really is also to take on is that all of the structures of business that exist favor the person who's unencumbered over the person who's encumbered. And that is one of the things we should be taking on. I mean, I feel like some things about business are just much more neutral than that. Like as a business owner, like I can, I feel very responsibly for like, I gained experiences while I was home with my kids and like, but I valued being at home with my kids. So my life and what I was making work at that time in my life, like my job and my career was secondary. And I don't, especially as an entrepreneur, like, of course, there's going to be an impact to me putting something else first for 10 years. Even that way of looking at it though, is inside the way stuff is structured around men's lives. Why? Because I would say that of anyone who took 10 years away from one thing to do another thing, that they could never expect there not to be an impact on the one thing over the other thing. Because the there's just a less experience and less because you know? the fact that you have to choose that way is inside the structure. There is no room, like even put entrepreneurship aside for a second, even inside as professional myself. And I can't tell you how many of the women I know, there is no such thing as part-time professional work. There's no such thing. Maybe you can once in a while, find a thing here, find a thing there, but the idea like, Hey, I have all these skills and I don't want to give them to you 40 hours a week. How can I provide value to your company? There's no space for that. There's not even a conversation for it. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know because I'm like, I think that's true. Like on both sides of the fence, male, female, otherwise, but I don't think the, um, I mean, it's true for anyone who would ask for that, but the point is the one people asking for it are women because the fact that you have to ask for it and that there's no space for it is because the business world is shaped around unencumbered employees and women are more likely to be encumbered. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that, I mean, I have to hope the business world will be changing, but I still can't say from a business perspective that if you put two people at the same place, that if you focus your time and energy on one thing versus giving like, I mean, I, and I'm for sure saying like, I think there are skills and maybe that's my entrepreneurial mindset, but there are skills that are developed along the way. Um, especially, and for sure there's skills around that I gained, you know, tending the children and dealing with all that stuff, but there's skills that are gained along the way pointed in a single direction over a period of time. That if you're not doing that are simply not gained. Do you disagree with that? No, I don't disagree with that. So when I look at career and skill set and what's going to be impacted, then I, that's what I come down to is like, I have a diversified um, skill set because of my ability, like my ability to parent and run a family and do all the 50 other things, you know, partner in a business and do all those things at the same time. That's really unique and for sure harder to market. But I don't know that if I had like worked a corporate job where I was putting in 20 hours a week and somebody else was putting in 40 or whatever, that we would land at the same place after 10 years. I mean, it depends on the structure of what you were working on 
And I mean, I've worked at plenty of jobs where there weren't opportunities to develop skills, period. And it was all about just putting in time and whoever put in the more time was more valuable. Um, but part of it is that there's no structure or conversation for you to even do that. Like we haven't even run the experiment. Like why is 40 the magical number? Maybe 20 I mean, plus 20 hours of changing, maybe 20 plus 20 hours of shifting your focus actually helps you develop faster. We don't know because we've never run the experiment. Yeah. I mean, there's probably 50 other like offshoots of that, but I still think that if you put me pointing the same direction and you could clone me and point me in the, uh, in an other direction where I gave half my time to the one and half time to the other, or just completely stopped at one and did something else and came back to it. I don't think I would have the same result in the one area. And I think I have a more diversified result, which has its own value, but I still think, I don't know. I mean, I'm all for like, essentially we're having a time in some ways we're having a time for money trade because I think, cause I'm, I'm equating it to skill set, and you're equating it to like putting in only putting in time. And I think some skill sets, a lot of skill sets take time to develop. And I also agree that a lot of those decisions in the corporate world aren't really made on, on pure skill set. Yeah. And I that's, think part that's of- part of the whole other conversation. Um, altogether. I think part of it too, is that I'm in a lot of conversations, like I'm in conversations in the coach community and there are many of them, most, mostly women, I think almost exclusively women that I'm talking to who are playing around with the idea of what if I work less and sleep more, what happens? And what happens is they produce more value and make more money. So I don't know. Brian Johnson and our favorite, you know, male centered coaching thing talked about that all the time. I don't think that's a new revelation for a lot of people, especially when what you're producing is intellectual prop value. Yeah, exactly. But a lot of people, you know, I would, I would, I have no idea, but I would certainly guess that most people aren't working in that kind of context. Like I think they're working in a context that's still mostly a time for money trade and a huge proportion of time. Yeah. I mean, it's really two different, two different I don't know what economies, conversation. I don't know what they are. Two different some things. So you, your background's most like in software, your like career background, right? Right. So if you take one guy and you say, girl, whoever, you take one human being and you say, you only have to be here, you know, however many hours a week. And I want you to put as much time and energy other than that into sleeping and then show up, whatever. Can the person produce the same amount of results? as somebody who sits at their desk 40 hours a week? Um, that is a very difficult, so you pitch software, which is a very difficult. Um, I know I totally did. Yeah. Because but I kind of did that on purpose because, but because maybe, maybe, I mean, you wouldn't put it into sleeping. You might put it into resting or thinking or doing something else because software of all the things actually benefits a ton from walking away from it. Um, so what if you just peeled off just coding that you can't it that's not a thing like it's not just sitting and typing you have to solve problems so it benefits a ton like it it is very common to get stuck on a problem and the best thing to do like many times this has happened to me and my colleagues multiple times the best thing to do is actually walk away and you can spend four hours and not solve it and 15 minutes walking away and solve it. So that's actually a great example of what I'm talking about and not a great example of what you're talking about because. Right. And I agree that there's no value, like there's no way to frame that. Although I, I mean, certainly lots of software companies have built in, you know, like places to play and be creative instead as a result of that. But, you know, we're not, technically looking at, you know, most places are still not looking for results, but I think that, you know, those are things for, for small businesses to really take on and see if they can produce better results. Cause it's not going to start in corporate America. Right. Yeah. And a lot of small businesses are like smaller software places and more cutting edge software places are taking on like, let's work less because our stuff is higher quality when we work fewer hours. Yeah, that's probably especially in knowledge work, even before I was married and a mother, it was very difficult for me to do 40 hours a week knowledge work. Like by the end of the week, you're just fried and your work kind of goes to shit. 
Yeah. Um, okay. So somebody unplugs a hundred percent for five years and parents a child, and that's what they choose to do for those five years while somebody else stays engaged in corporate life, how do they show back up at the table and be at the exact same place? Even for a company that wants to value a skill set and interaction and whatever, like parenting and whatever else. You're begging the question though. You're begging the question because the whole, the whole thing you're presenting is those are the two choices. And that's part of the problem. No, I think that for sure. There's a lot of, I mean, I started talking about like, we were mostly going to talk about entrepreneurship, which I, which is a whole different thing. I mean, for sure, there's lots of things inside corporate America that mirror how people take on entrepreneurship. But I think that entrepreneurship is what gives us the best access to breaking the mold. Yeah. I think actually that's, that's, I think that is why it's in the women entrepreneurs conversation I'm in where people are like, Oh, look, it turns out that if I work less, I produce better results. But I don't think it's always a parallel that like, I mean, that might be like a specific observation about a specific type of work or that person's own creative process or discovery or whatever, which is probably something for all of us to be responsible for. But I think that, well, this gets, this, this is where it really diversifies. One, I don't see a lot of men being successful in business working part-time. And also I think that there's like a place where business is growing and scaling typically that people put in a tremendous amount of effort or they leverage relationships or partnerships as they're getting started. And that's one of the, that's one of the things that I read in almost every article is how much more likely men are to partner than women are. That's interesting. Did it say why? It did not say why just that men are statistically like, I mean, dramatically, let's see if I can find you. Um, so there's no fundamental difference in support between men and women, but the majority of entrepreneurs do not seek or seek support overall. Oh, that's financial. Sorry. Men and women, uh, approximately 44%. This is not the article I meant to reference. I will reference it later, but that's one of the things that comes up in, in most articles is how much more likely their men and women are to partner. Um, sorry, I won't bore everybody while, while, while I look for that statistic, but um, men are like 63 versus something percent different. Like I'll find it and we can talk about the specifics, but Um, they don't say why, like most of the articles were just measuring whatever. And then they extrapolated theories about it. But I think, I mean, I don't know when you think about it, it kind of starts to make, I mean, that makes sense to me because met. So one of the things we're talking about in my current, you know, work is that women are much, have a much more difficult time handing those, handing things over and partnering, um, in their, in their small businesses. Um, and bringing on their first employees and doing things like that. And when men get started, they think I'm obviously going to need somebody to do all this shit. And it's a really different approach to business. Well, it's because it's the different lives we leave. We lead because women are, I mean, here, I'm just speculating. I can't back this up with hard statistics like you seem to want, but (laughs) men are used to being supported and women are used to supporting. Like those are the roles we're conditioned in the 75% of unpaid care work falling on the shoulders of women, irrespective of um, socioeconomic status and even work like in that, that was one of the statistics. I think I've said it on here before from the un, uh, invisible women, which is that is like a really sticky number that even in a, in a, in a couple where both of them work. And even if they, um, even if they source out a lot of the work, like say, they hire out, you know, 50% of the work, like gardeners or whatever, the woman will still do 75% of what's left. So that is, I mean, that's our role, right? That's what we're in. We support, we don't ask for help. We give help. Um, and men, the other way around they're they're used to just being helped. I mean, 
I can't think of very many, even in just my own life, very many men who aren't used to just having someone do stuff for them. And I don't mean in a subservient way, but just like, that's kind of how they're conditioned and, and, and cultured. And then we're conditioned and cultured the other way. You have to tell, um, the story about the lunchroom and clearing the plates. Oh yeah. Um, uh, although I'm trying to think about what's the word. Oh, socialized, socialized is what I meant to say, not culture socialized. So, um, a long, long time ago during a dot-com thing, right? Like late nineties, we were doing this dot-com it was on this software project where we had four months to get something done. It was intense. It, we had to, either, it was do or die. It, it's important for the story. So we had four months to be a competitor to market, or we were going to go on a business. That was kind of the do or die thing. So we were working a ton of hours. Um, like every day of the week, people would say things like, I'm so tired. I can only work eight hours on Sunday. And then they would work like 10 or 12 hours on Sunday. It was like super intense. And we used to order in lunch. A lot of times they fed us meals. That was back when they were able to still trick us into thinking they were taking care of us by feeding us meals while we worked 80 hour weeks. But anyway, <laughs> um, and that there were two women on the project. I'm trying to think if there was anybody else at that point, later on, there were more women, but I think at the time it was just me and my close friend. Um, and I was solely responsible for the whole middle piece of the software. And she was, um, running the people who were writing like one of the end she was doing a lot of work but she was also running she had like a little team working for her on one of the other end pieces and after every meal the men would just get up and leave because we ate in the conference room and then she and I would start cleaning up I think there was one other woman now that I think about it on the testing team and the this went on for a long time and then one day one of the senior project managers came in and he's like what are you guys doing like we're cleaning up the lunch. He's like, stop it. I can't have two of my most senior people cleaning up the lunch. This is ridiculous. And he like shoot us out and went and got some admins to do it. But the fact of the matter is it never occurred to us not to do it. And it never occurred to the men to do it. Yeah. Perfect. It just didn't occur. They weren't being dicks. I mean, they kind of were being dicks, but they weren't meaning to be dicks. They were all really nice, sweet guys. And if we had ever said, hey, can you help us clean up? Or if we had said, let's make a rotation schedule or something, but we would have had to source and initiate that. Like it never would have occurred to any of them like, oh, Lynn and this other person are always cleaning up the lunch. Maybe we should do that once in a while. It never occurred. They just like walked away from the lunch because they were just used to being picked up after. And we were used to picking up after. Yeah, for sure. Like there wasn't even really any conscious intent on anybody's part. That's the, that's the point. That's the patriarchy stress disorder thing. Yeah. So, because I think the why is really important. Like why don't women ask for help? If we can't answer that question and address it, it's not going to change. Like if you just told me like, oh, you need to ask for help. Oh, thank you for the information. Like it's not going to change my behavior. That's not what changes behavior. I don't know. I think for me, it would be enough to just go like, Hey, women don't, uh, don't acquire enough help or build enough partnerships in their business. Like if you want to increase your odds of being successful, that's like one of the things we've identified to take on. Like that would be enough for me. Yeah. But you don't have any connection to your emotions. <laughs> Listen, smart ass, but like I <laughs> like in business, I do care a lot more about like the result that I'm producing and I don't need to go like, well, I mean, on my own time, I might go, well, why am I so uncomfortable outsourcing stuff? Um, but I think that part of it is like, for me, there's a place where like success is what buys partnership down the road. And that's just how it lives in my mind. Like once I get to this point, I hire people, I do whatever. And I think it's really interesting that men look at going into things you know, with partnership and maybe it's about being supported, but I don't think partnership is necessarily about being supported because a lot of men give up, you know, like most partnerships I know are fairly costly. Like they give up a lot of control. They give up a lot of, you know, potential revenue or whatever else. Like they're used to that too. I mean, when you think about, so, okay, now we'll get into some stereotypical tropes, but when you think about the average marriage that you and I are familiar with, the woman has a ton of control over how the marriage goes, but also one of the things she does is runs it and makes sure that life works. And so most guys are like, that's a reasonable deal. Like I, I'll, she'll make me start wearing colors and uh, I won't ever have to worry <laughs> about Christmas presents again. Right. I said that because last night, I don't remember how it came up, 
something, Eric said something about a guy wearing colors. And I'm like, you were all in charcoal gray when I met you. It was an uphill battle to even move you into hunter green. And then we were both laughing really hard. Um, and it's funny because it's true. So like men are used to, even in like their moms and their wives and their girlfriends do boss them around a little bit, but not in a way that is true social power. You know what I mean? Like wear mm-hmm. a green shirt, go to this party, but, and in exchange, they get their life run for them. Yeah, I think that's true. Whereas for us as women, um, can you think of any place where you've ever given up power, where you got something equal in exchange for it? Is this about watching hockey and Disney movies? No, I'm talking for real, like in real life. Like, can you think of any place where you've exchanged whatever power you had and gotten something really great in return? Yeah, for sure. Like in plenty of partnerships, you can't see any places in your own life where you've partnered or given something up. Like I can think of business partnerships where I've given up power. I can think of no, I'm talking um, about, no, I'm talking about in your life. And so forget about like, I guess maybe I'm talking mostly about in rom- romantic relationships um, because in friendships with girlfriends, yeah, there's a way, but like for women in a romantic relationship, giving up a lot of power really puts us at risk in the aggregate. And I don't like how, so like, you got to extrapolate that one for me. So don't think about just yourself. All right. Try to source, dig deep and source your empathy. I know you can do it. Damn it. Um, if you told me I had to be empathetic tonight, I would have probably taken a pass. Yeah. Right. I put on balance. It's not helping, um, <laughs> but dig deep. Right. So don't think about just yourself because you're a woman with a lot of resources. Most women, anytime they give up economic power or like, even for a lot of women taking the time off from work, um, like like the reality of my career, taking a lot of time off for my child and getting mommy tracked for that and not being able to get back in the way that I would have if I hadn't had a child makes me very economically vulnerable to my husband. Now, my husband is a decent guy and he's never going to use that power against me. But for most women, that's a really scary place to be in. And until like 1970 or whatever, um, most women weren't, uh, weren't able to have their own bank accounts. And women couldn't take loans either until, so that's like another, if you want to talk about women, women entrepreneurship, women couldn't take loans without a male co-signer until sometime in the eighties, if I remember like a business loan. Um, And so the, the power exchange, like giving up power for a woman is in general, much more scary than the kinds of power that men give up in our non-work lives. Okay. So that's why, I mean, that's, I speculate. That's why. All right. Um, one of the reasons why, let me tell you, you, go ahead. I I just want to say like, this is not really directly, but this is just some really super interesting context about how things like women not being able to have their own checking accounts until 1970 would be affecting like a woman sitting right now thinking about starting her own business. So in the patriarchy stress disorder book, she talked about epigenetics and she did, they did this. She didn't do, she talked about this experiment where they took these mice and they put them in a floor of a room and, or I mean, not a floor, they put them in a room with a special kind of floor and it delivered like a minor electric shock. And they did it anytime they would pump in the smell of cherry blossoms and they would give the mice a shock and the mice, no surprise, got afraid of the smell of cherry blossoms, right? They would get stressed anytime they smelled cherry blossoms makes total sense, but then they stopped the experiment and then they had the descendants of the mice. So the mice had babies, like the mice that got shocked had babies. And then they looked at the brains of those mice and they had an unusual number of neurons dedicated to smelling cherry blossoms, like way more than you would expect, like way more than the control mice. And in this presence of cherry blossoms, they got super stressed out, really anxious. These mice have never witnessed or been shocked. And that lasted for generations. It didn't get extinguished for generations. So the fact that like a woman couldn't have her own credit card until the eighties, First of all, I was already born at that point, And so were you um, like that is going to live in our DNA for a really long time. So like, there's some of that too. So 
what do you do about it then? Because you can't go like, I don't think any of us can afford to wait generations for something. So like everybody hugs their tree and gets in touch with their emotional side. And they know that their grandma didn't have a credit card and that there's some kind of penis trauma around it or whatever, but what do you actually do about it? Well, if you're going to be sarcastic about all the things that actually help, then I don't know how to answer your question. I'm not really being sarcastic. Yeah, you are. Okay. We all have this emotional thing. Like the answer is purely emotional in your and no, it's trauma, it- it's trauma resolution. Like the reason she picked patriarchy stress disorder is kind of a riff on PTSD. You do all the same things that you would do to resolve PTSD. You go after the trauma and you help resolve the trauma. And it doesn't mean you can't work until the result, the trauma is resolved. Like you can't be like, well, I couldn't possibly start a business until I get all this trauma resolved. But you recognize that there's a significant trauma response in women. Anytime we are speaking up, speaking out, taking up space, um, succeeding, making money, having resources, like, like the, um, the witch burnings in the, what was it? The 1600s? Um, many, many, many of those, maybe, maybe the majority, I would have to go and look. It's been years since I looked at it. Um, many of those were women without a male protector and significantly also a lot of them had inherited property. So if you were a woman who inherited property because you're father and all your male relatives were dead Mm -hmm. you were at a huge danger of being burned as a witch i'm not kidding and hmm? what no i mean it's just um opportunism at its best right exactly because the property would revert back to the the community at that point like the city or whatever so our trauma response like women have a trauma response and some men too it's not only women it's not every woman it's not no men but i'm talking like in the broad right? Like not every smoker dies of cancer, but enough of them die of cancer that smoking is a really dumb idea, right? That's what we're talking about. So there's like a program trauma response that it is not safe to show up, to take up space, to talk, to make money, to have money, to have more money than someone else, to charge money for your ideas, all these things, not safe for women. Um, So one of the things you do about it is you approach it the same way you do with somebody who has PTSD or any kind of trauma. You go I after tell the them to fucking get over it already. Well, that's what you say because you're a mean, <laughs> hard, cold. <laughs> Stop smoking weed and get off your ass and do something. Sorry, Let's not bring me into this. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, seriously, like that is, I mean, that's why even what you're talking, you're talking about the product that you sell, which is um, an assistant. But part of what makes their offer so powerful is they offer all kinds of coaching to go with it. And well, if they're ending, but structure around it. Yeah. But if they're not doing like any kind of trauma informed, whatever they could even, they could make even more valuable. Like they could make even more valuable. <sighs> Let me take a deep breath. <laughs> Let me lean into the balance. Let me put a crystal in my mouth. Let me sit on an Oracle card, whatever it will take right now. Oh my God. <laughs> I have they to clean this podcast bathroom immediately. I'm out. <laughs> they could increase the value of their offering if they helped people go after that stuff as well. Because I guarantee the reason women don't ask for partnership is some kind of trauma response. And probably one we're not even aware of. I mean, some of the reason I don't like to partner is nobody can do it as well as that's part. Yeah. And that's socialization too, right? Like the, uh, the intentionally, uh, incompetent man when it comes to things like housework. And whenever I complain about John, you're like, Hmm, probably could do that. But the reality is, you know, I don't know if that's always true, but that's a whole debate for another day, but yeah. No, but um, like the, the, you can make fun of it if you want and the PSD and all that stuff, but it's real. It's real. Um, like you and I even had in our yoga therapy that we did, wasn't there someone in there that was sharing, or maybe it was someplace else. Someone was sharing about something she was super terrified about. And it turned out that her grandmother had experienced that specific kind of domestic violence. And she never knew that. And she was always super, she just was like lived in absolute terror of this one specific, I don't even remember what it was, but it was like some specific thing, like being choked or pushed or something. Um, And it turned out she had a grandmother that had experienced that specific 
kind of domestic violence and she didn't know that but you know she was smelling cherry blossoms and freaking out yeah i mean i for sure think trauma layers and there's generational impact see that from epigenetics we know all i mean there's some fantastic studies about survivors of the holocaust and then their children and blah, blah, blah on and on so um i st- i think there's some place where like I think the conversation for whatever reason is feels like mostly disempowering to me. And like, I, and for, I'm, I'm for sure mostly around the edges of it, but I'm way more interested in like, how do we take this on in a way that's empowering and make changes? And you're interested in that too. Yeah. I mean, if it's landing is disempowering for you, then you need, then we need to create it in a way that's empowering because one of the answers is recognize this trauma response and take it on. Right. Like, yeah, and were- also I think like we, I think one of the big is like, you know, like being accountable for the results, every entrepreneur has to overcome their own shit. Male or like, that's part of the game. That's why I love entrepreneurs. You have, you have to repeat that because your audio broke up. What I said was, I just said something really, really brilliant that we'll never be able to get back. But you need to repeat it. I don't even remember what it was anymore. Then it couldn't have been that. It's probably Peter Dinklage's identity. It's not. All right. Well, um, I think I was saying that I, one of the reasons I love entrepreneurship is that it brings everything to the surface. And I think that entrepreneurs have to be successful, have to take on the idea that true or not true, like that they're hundred percent responsible for everything, their results, what they're playing for all of it. So getting to the root of like, what is there to take on as a woman in business? Like that's not a disempowering conversation. I right. Don't think. No. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so much of like the conversation I'm in is in a community where women are trying to take this on in their own businesses, not trying, are taking this on in their own business. Like we talk about, okay, fight, flight, freeze, fawn. Those are the four trauma responses. Where does that show up in your marketing? Where does that show up when you're working with clients? What does it look like? And like taking it on and like figuring out how do I, you know, soothe my nervous system enough so that I can notice that that's happening and then keep it from happening. Like all the same way you do if you had PTSD or a phobia or whatever, like you take it on, but notice knowing that it's there because especially for a woman, like nobody has ever burned me at the stake for having too much money, but somewhere in me is a, is knowing that it's dangerous to have too much money. Right. Like that's like women are told all the time. In fact, that's another thing we talk about, like women coaches, especially like when you look at, um, cause I'm mostly in the coaching conversation. When you look at women coaches are making money, they get criticized for their pricing in a way that men coaches don't like nobody goes after, again, in the generalities, like it's not typical for someone to tell a man, like your work is so good. You should just give it away. I can't believe you're charging the people who need you can't afford you, blah, 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 blah. But that's the kind of thing that's leveled at women all the time. Um, and that's part of like, you have to recognize and like, is that traumatizing to me? And if so, how do I handle that? And then how do we, as a community stop that bullshit? Like, how do we make it okay for a woman to charge for her ideas? How do we make it you know, okay for a woman to make more money than a man makes like all those things. There's a conversation that they're not okay. All right. I think we have to put a pin in it because the next place that I want to talk about, about this is a whole nother conversation. Yeah. That can be for next time. Okay. Do you want me to tell a story about taking your pants off about taking my pants off? I mean, just in general. Oh, you mean like about taking one's pants off? I was going to say, please don't tell the story about taking my pants off. <laughs> that has never happened yet. That never happened. But okay, I will take like care of you and wipe your butt if that ever is needed, because that's what I'm committed to, Lynn. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> God willing, <laughs> that will never need to happen. Yes. God willing. Why is everything you give me vegetables? No reason. No reason. I need that La-la. bright line. I need that bright line eating poop. Ta-da. Okay. So uh, tell a story about taking one's pants off and we'll end the podcast. It better be good. I don't, <laughs> you know, none of my stories are really that good because it involves me and a story. 
Okay. But I was at Starbucks with these two women who I adore and they're both on the way to their office. And one had on this like super cool sweater. And I was like, that sweater is amazing. And she said, I know it's really great, but I'm going to be really hot later. And I said, don't worry about it. Just take your pants off. It'll be fine. And the other lady beside her, like turned bright red and like almost died of laughter and embarrassment. Okay. (laughs) It was one of the highlights of my week because you know, you could just like the thought of her in her cute little sweater, like dangling her naked legs under her desk all week. Cause it's really amused me. Yeah. It's very flash dance, right? I like, know, I don't know what flash dance is that old. It's, it's the movie from the eighties. So you should know it. Like there was like a, um, it wasn't just flash dance, but there was kind of a fashion where women would wear huge baggy oversized sweatshirts and no pants. Remember? And leggings. Yeah but sometimes just like leg warmers. The eighties were way more risky. So it reminds me today of Eric works from home today and he was on a whole bunch of zoom calls and he had on a polo shirt and then like workout shorts. And I said, yeah, business up top and party on the bottom. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, I don't have to wear pants. I'm not going to the office. I'm going to wear my, like the same shorts. He works in the yard, that kind of not the same pair, but the style of shorts, like this (laughs) big oversized athletic shorts. And then on top, like polo shirt and Mr. Professional. (laughs) (laughs) In order to go to the gym, you only need to change your top. Okay. On that note, we'll see you next time in the ladies room. Ciao. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to catch us in the ladies room. You can also find Lynn at A Spacious Life on Facebook, Instagram, and in Clubhouse. And find Allie at 5 Billion Entrepreneurs on LinkedIn and Instagram. Mm-hmm.